invite you to turn to the book of Proverbs. We're going to be looking at some selected scriptures. We're going to be flipping all over the book of Proverbs actually this morning, continuing on in our series of wisdom literature. Last week we talked about wisdom literature. We defined it as the writings of Solomon, which are Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Also, there are some Psalms that are categorized as wisdom literature intended to make us wise. We have uh, the book of Job, which is also classified as wisdom literature. So throughout this summer, this wisdom literature is a, is a series that you're going to be hearing from different ones of us on different themes. And the goal, the purpose of the writing of wisdom literature is to make us wise so that we can live skillfully, so we can apply the truths of Scripture into everyday life. Well, this morning, we're going to be continuing on to that series, and we're going to be skipping through the book of Proverbs on a particular topic. I've titled this, The World's Most Powerful Muscle. Do you know what that is? The World's Most Powerful Muscle. It's not our bicep. It's not our quadricep. It's the tongue. The power of the tongue is incredible. It is a two-ounce muscular organ in our mouth covered with mucous membrane. Uh, That's what the Wikipedia dictionary told me anyway. And uh, the words that are used in the book of Proverbs that are associated with the tongue, we find words like uh, speech and tongue and words in our mouth. And and I did a survey, I did a a Bible survey and pulled up all these scripture references and found over 150 references in the book of Proverbs pertaining to some of these words relating to our speech or, or, or the tongue. And this is a hugely significant topic in wisdom literature. And that was just in the book of Proverbs. And so what I've done, I've classified those, and we're going to look at some some ways the tongue can be used in a destructive sense, but ways also that our tongues, our mouth can be used in a positive sense. Let me give you an example. With the power of the tongue, we can split a church. The power of the tongue can divide friends. The power of the tongue can deeply wound and hurt and maim. And if I was to ask you this morning, how many of you remember a name that someone called you when you were a kid growing up that stuck? Or how many of you remember a criticism that was said about you? Or how many of you recall a derogatory statement about your appearance? I mean, when I was a kid, I was, there's some kids that teased me. They said I was skinny. Or maybe someone said you were fat. Or someone said you were this or you were that. How many of you, just be honest, have had words that have stuck with you in your life? We've all had that, haven't we? Words are powerful. Now, that's in the negative sense. On the positive sense, on the positive side, our tongue has the power to sing a baby to sleep. Our tongue has the power to encourage someone who's hurting or struggling. Our mouths can be used to communicate the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Our mouths can be used to worship and sing praises to God as we've been singing this morning. 
Our tongue can be used to read Scripture and teach God's Word to our children. The power of the tongue is incredible. It's the world's most powerful muscle. As we looked in the book of James, James is looking at it in in pretty much a negative sense. I mean, he's talking about the power of a bit to control a big animal, a horse. The power of of a little rudder to control this huge ship. And he likens it to the power of the tongue to control us. And he mentions that it's just a small part of our body, but with it, Great forests are set aflame, set on fire. He talks about, with it, we can bless our Lord and Father, or we can curse men. He says, it shouldn't be this way. From the same mouth, it shouldn't be that we have these blessings and cursings as a fountain send out from the same opening, both fresh and bitter water. And so the whole point this morning is that we realize not only the power that our speech and our tongues and our mouths have, but to allow God to convict us in areas where we're not honoring Him in the use of our speech, but also to motivate us and exhort us to use our speech, to use our tongue in ways that will bring honor and glory to the Lord. We're going to be looking at Proverbs this morning. It's interesting, in the book of Proverbs, you find this section in Proverbs chapter 6, where we read that there are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to Him. Now, I've underlined the ones that relate to our speech. Of these seven, it's very interesting the priority that's placed on the tongue, on what we say. Haughty eyes, being proud. A lying tongue, there's the first one. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that run rapidly to evil. Here's the third one, a false witness who utters lies. And third, and one who spreads strife among brothers. The power of the tongue. And God takes a firm stand on this. This is a big deal to Him. And our speech should honor Him and bring glory to His name. Big idea, my tongue can build up or crush someone's spirit. My tongue can praise or curse God. The choice is mine for how I will use my tongue. James says the tongue can't be tamed, and that's certainly true in the sense of us trying to control it. And that's why we need to bring our lives in submission under our Lord Jesus Christ and receive His life and receive the power through His Spirit so the tongue can be tamed. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit, self-control. Self-control. Last week I did an overview of the book of Proverbs and an overview of wisdom literature. Let me refresh your memory. Many of you were not here last week. If you didn't catch that, Solomon wrote most of the book. It was written from a father to his child. Uh, It's interesting in the book of Proverbs, we don't find that Proverbs wrote to a specific son of his. He wrote it generally, and I think that's intentional, which leads us to the third point. It was intended to be used to train up children to become godly leaders and influencers. Proverbs is a manual of instruction to children. I mentioned that children are born in need of instruction, that children are described as naive. So from birth on to, say, the teenage years, our children are naive. It's a 
fun word to uh, translate. It means broad, wide, open, empty spaces, empty rooms. Our kids are airheads and they need to be instructed and taught God's word. And they need to be guarded as parents so that the wrong stuff doesn't get in there because they're very moldable and teachable. The cement is wet as the kids are young. So Proverbs is written to us as an instruction manual for parents that we be intentional with our children to raise them up to honor the Lord. It's very practical advice that impacts our daily lives on a moral and ethical basis. Very practical, very relational, common advice relating to work relating to our speech like this morning, relating to how we use money, relating to what we allow our eyes to see, relating to purity, relating to marriage and family and parenting. A lot of practical advice in Proverbs. We also see two competing paths in life. A path that leads to death. There's a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs says, don't go this way. And Solomon is warning his son, you can choose this way. But there's a way that leads, leads to pain and heartache, a path of disobedience. There's also a path that leads to life. By wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it is established. And by knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. There's a path of obedience that leads to God blessing us as we obey Him and choose this path of life. It's pretty concrete. Proverbs presents a pretty black and white Uh, sense of order in the universe that God has established. I mentioned last week that our tendency in parenting is to focus on the external, the behavior of a child. And rightly so, often we want our children to behave well. We want them to represent God well. We as parents want to be represented well by our children. Uh, But let's not start there. The tendency, again, is just to go towards the behavior and get them to behave rightly. But there's something deeper. There's issues of the heart. For the behavior of a child and our behavior flows out of what's going on in our heart. But there's something even more core than that. The deepest aspect is our worldview. What do we believe about God? Let me illustrate it this way. And this is where Proverbs takes us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom, chokmah, is skillful living. And the beginning point, the starting point of the core of a child's life or the core of our life is that we fear the Lord and we awe Him and we revere His name. And I would say that as we think about parenting, we think about the process of sanctification and becoming Christ-like, the beginning point is a relationship with Jesus Christ where we trust Him and receive forgiveness of our sins and we receive His Holy Spirit. And now we have the power through His Spirit that wages our flesh wages war against the Spirit and our flesh rises up and wants to use our speech and in, as we're talking about this morning in a way that's not going to bring honor to God. But through His Spirit, we have the power to honor Him And we have the resources available at our disposal to be used by God to to bring Him honor and glory. But it begins with the fear of the Lord. That's the starting point. That's the core. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Which flows to our heart. So the core is God is our Creator. I fear Him. I come under Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and Master and Savior. And I come under His ownership. 
which affects my heart, my belief system, my values. Proverbs talks about this. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life, how we live our lives and how we behave. Proverbs 23, 7, for as he thinks within himself, talking about our heart, so is he. So the core is our worldview, which affects our heart, which flows out then into our behavior. Proverbs 1, 3, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. Talking about one of the purposes of Proverbs is that our worldview will change our heart, which affects how we live our lives. Our behavior. So this morning as we talk about the tongue and we talk about destructive uses and we talk about constructive uses, bad uses and good uses, realize a lot of this is about the behavior and a lot of it that we see on the outside, but there's a deeper core. And with our children, and so again I'm emphasizing children because so much of Proverbs is about parenting. With our children, we want to go for their heart. We want to go with, first of all, talking with them about their relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Principles about our speech, principles about behavior that flow from our heart. First of all, as I've already mentioned, you see an example here of how our outer behavior, in this case, namely our speech, it flows out of what's inside of us. A wise man's heart guides his mouth and his lips promote instruction. A man that's living wisely, and that's the assumption that Solomon's making, is that we have a desire, we want to live wise lives and choose the, by obedience a life of, of blessing and a life that's going to honor God. But our speech flows from our heart, and a wise man's heart guides his mouth and his lips promote instruction. We have friends who shared a story with us. They were somewhat convicted about what happened with their child's first words. Isn't it wonderful when we have children and they reach that point and our little children begin to say their first words, you know, mama, daddy, dada, you know, their first words as as parents, it's like we're just living for that and we're looking for it. Well, these friends of ours, and to make this story safe, I'll tell you these This is not anybody from Grace Bible Church. This is actually a couple that lives out of state. But the dad came home and their little boy said his first word. He said, cap. And they were looking at him, cap. He said his first word. And the dad looked at the mom and he said, Jody. Because what the little baby was saying was a word that rhymes with another word that I can't repeat up here. The baby's first words were, was not a good word that the baby heard the mother saying because she was upset about something. Our kids emulate us. Our kids watch us. And our kids say words sometimes that reflect our frustration in driving down Texas Avenue in August. And, and we need to be careful, parents, with... Uh, how we use words, because our kids pick up on that. And that's what this is saying. A wise man, wisdom, is guiding our mouth. Our heart guides his mouth, and his lips promote instruction. Our speech flows from our heart. Second, our words are incredibly powerful. 
The power of the tongue. The tongue has the power of life and death. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but how's the rest of that go? Words can never hurt me. That's a lie. Isn't that a lie? Words are powerful. Words can hurt. As I mentioned a while ago, we can all remember times when something was said about us, negative things. They made an impact on us. On the other hand, we can remember when somebody built us up, when someone encouraged us. I meant to do this earlier, but how many of you can recall someone who said, I believe in you. You can do it. I am so proud of you. How many of you can recall that? Someone using words in a, in a positive sense. Yeah. Words are incredibly powerful. There's the power of life and death in our words. I love to coach our kids and um, coach our daughter through softball. I coach, I've been coaching our son now in Little League. I just I love it. I played sports. It's just fun to me to, you know, get out there with our kids and meet some families that don't know outside of Grace. But last year, our daughter played softball, and uh, she was a good little hitter. In fact, she was so consistent. She had this great swing. She had good, good mechanics. She was real consistent, so I usually put her as our leadoff hitter because she was going to make contact with the ball. But her last year she played, <laughs> there may be some reason behind it was her last year about what I'm about to tell you, but her last year, she was just struggling. I mean, she'd go up there and strike out. So I started putting her farther and farther down the batting order, and, and I'd work with her outside of the games and, you know, work with her mechanics, getting her hands back and wait on the back foot, quick hands, you know, work on all the mechanics. And she'd get the mechanics down, but... She was just striking out. So I started thinking, okay, this is an issue of the heart. She's just getting up there and not trying. So I started getting on her. Rachel, watch the ball. And she'd be in the game. And she'd get up there and I'd, come on, Rachel, watch the ball. She'd strike out and I'd get on her. And I was just getting frustrated as a, as a dad, you know. I mean, she's the coach's daughter. She's supposed to, you know what I mean? Okay, she gave me permission to tell this story, by the way. Okay, season's over. Rachel goes to her doctor, part of the doctor's. She has an eye exam. And uh, Rachel needs glasses. So she goes to an optometrist, and we find out not, as, not only does she need glasses, she's got this depth perception issue. And I was up there yelling at my daughter to watch the ball. She couldn't see the ball. God, I'm an unfit parent. <laughs> Remember last week I said we're going to extend a lot of grace to each other in this area. My kids aren't perfect, neither are yours. I'm not a perfect parent, neither are yours, so we're all growing in process. But I felt, I felt terrible. And so we got our glasses. But my point in sharing that is words are incredibly powerful. And they have an impact and an effect on the people around us, for bad or for good. The tongue has the power of life and death. Let's look at some destructive uses 
of our tongue. Foolish joking, like a madman who throws firebrand. It's like this crazy archer and he just go around shooting fiery darts, fiery brands, arrows and death. So is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, was I not joking? (laughs) Just kidding. Man, those words stick. They hurt. They're painful. Watch your tongue. Washington Irving. A sharp tongue is the only edge tool that grows keener with constant use. Isn't that convicting? We need to be careful with what we say. Our words have an impact in people's lives. Another destructive use, gossip. With his mouth, the godless destroys his neighbor. But through knowledge, the righteous escape. Last week, I mentioned that Proverbs are written in maxims or couplets. Here we see a contrastive couplet. With his mouth, the godless destroys his neighbor. But through knowledge, the righteous escape. Another one, for the lack of wood, the fire goes out. We can all understand that illustration. You know, fire, you build a fire. When there's no wood, the fire goes out. And when there is no whisperer, contention quiets down. Gossip is talking about someone behind their back. It's idle chatter. It's sharing things that we shouldn't share. And sometimes it's so tempting. You know, in a church, we, we hear things and, and we want to communicate things. And often good motives are involved. But, hey, you know, so-and-so, their marriage is they're really struggling. We need, we, we need to pray for them. And we just need to be real careful about how we use our tongue. Because we can't take it back. Once you say stuff, it's out there. And there are plenty of times I wish I could, you know, pull it back, bring it in, rein it in. But it's out there. And so Solomon in, in wisdom literature comes down hard on gossip. It's a sin. And it's, we need to recognize how much we can wound and hurt people with things we say. We can destroy lives. We can um, wound and maim. We're talking about the psalm study this summer, and we encourage you to be in a small group. But this is one of the reasons in small groups we emphasize confidentiality. What's shared here stays here. Because what happens is someone shares something in confidence in a group or share something in confidence with you and then you say someone you know we, again we, man we just need to pray for them and then that comes back to them they hear that you said something that they had you there where there was a commitment of confidence what happens to that group Pew! the trust is gone that person that's the last time that person's going to share anything deep and meaningful same is true in relationships we need to become vaults. Vaults in the sense that when people share things with us, it stays right with us. Are you known as someone who can be trusted with personal, sensitive information? Are you known in your character as someone that people can come to and talk to and it's going to stay right there? Because you're not going to run your mouth about that person or that situation. These are ways our tongue can be used destructively. Gossip. Another slander. He who conceals his hatred has lying lips. And whoever spreads slander is a fool. 
mentioned last week about different categories of people. I already talked about the naive, the empty-headed, the person that needs instruction. Children are born in need of instruction. But then you get on into the teenage years and you have what's character, the person who's characterized as a fool. This person has knowledge. They've received instruction, but they're unwise in the use of it. They're not applying the knowledge and they will make mistakes and, and sin repeatedly, often in the same situation. That person is foolish. Whoever conceals his hatred has lying lips. And whoever spreads slander is a fool. When I was in ninth grade, went on a youth trip, and there was a man uh, uh, who took a group of ninth grade boys on a camping trip. Bless that man's soul. He was courageous. So we're out on this camping trip, and there's a, a new kid, and I'll never forget this. His name was uh, David Heaps. David Heaps. So we were out, and somehow we got away from the leader, and we're kind of cruising through the campsite, and, and as boys do, and we came back, and uh, I made up a story about David. I said that David peaked in a girl's tent, and we gave him the nickname, David Heaps, David Peeps, and it stuck with him. And you know, David, um, after a couple weeks, he didn't come to our youth group anymore. He quit coming. And I've lost track of David. And to this day, I mean, I've confessed my sin. To this day, I deeply regret what I said about him. I slandered him. I could, and I, you know, you can't take back stuff like that. And, and I exhort you, I'm kind of looking around for those of you who, younger people in, in the room, be so careful what you say. Older people, it's especially true, but it's so easy in our youth to say things about people and have these little conversations and, and it can be incredibly hurtful for someone else. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city and contention are the bars of a castle. Once it's out there, you can't take it, can't take it back. You can apologize, but often with great effort and it's with the power of the Holy Spirit and it's with the other person granting forgiveness that reconciliation can take place. So let's be careful on the front end is the whole admonition that Solomon's giving us. How about quarrels? Better to live in the corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Proverbs, um, it's written by Solomon. He knew a thing or two about Marriage, he had about 699 too many wives and concubines. And so he's talking about, he may have had a few of these. That's what he's saying. Hey, I'd rather live up in the corner of the roof, you know, out on the roof of the palace than in the luxurious bedroom with the contentious woman. Because quarrels and contention and criticism, they hurt, don't they? By the way, married couples, let me challenge you. And this is a pact that Susan and I have made with each other, that we never, ever criticize the other person in front of someone else. We never, ever say something negative about the other person to someone else. Okay, And if you ever hear me saying something negative about my wife, something critical, I give you permission to come up and just slap me upside the head. Okay? (laughs) 
Couples, don't do that. Don't criticize your spouse. Okay, protect them. Protect that relationship. Hurtful words. Reckless words. The word reckless, this is like a reckless driver. These are the, the freshmen in August who come to town with their new cars that daddy gave them from graduating from high school and they're driving recklessly, right? That's how this word, that's what this word is. Reckless words pierce like a sword. They hurt. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. How about untimely words? How many of you in here are morning people? Do you love getting up early in the morning? Oh, that's great. That's great. How many of you are night owls? You like staying up late. Okay, you're going to love this verse. He who blesses his friend with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be reckoned a curse to him. (laughs) That's untimely words. And we need to be sensitive to people and learn the proper time to uh, share a blessing. And if someone's not a morning person, that's not the right time. How about consequences? A fool's lips bring him strife, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his undoing, and his lips are a snare to his soul. There are consequences to using our mouth destructively that have an impact on our life and even eternal consequences. Someday we'll be at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, and we will be held accountable for our lives. And and then this morning, how we use our speech, how we've used our tongue. Okay, much rather talk about the good stuff. Let's talk about encouragement, constructive uses. The lips of the righteous nourish many. This word nourish is of like feeding and, and shepherding and providing for. The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of judgment. An anxious heart weighs a man down. You ever just feel weighed down, man? I mean, anxiety is eating you up. You're wondering about stuff and it's just got you tied in a knot it weighs you down and then you have someone that says a kind word an anxious heart weighs a man down but a kind word cheers him up here's some more a man finds joy in giving an apt or a timely reply and how good is a timely word think of Darce Marie when I think about that man she just has a way of giving a timely word, a word that maybe is encouraging, sometimes a word where she speaks the truth in love, and I needed to hear it. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Are you known as an encourager, or are you known by somebody that's got a sharp tongue? We need to be encouraging each other. In the body of Christ. We need to be lifting each other up. Hebrews 10. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but what? Encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. To give strength to, to give courage to, to lift each other up. We need that. We live in a very discouraging world. And we need, as the body of Christ, to be encouraging to each other and to breathe life to each other and and allow the Holy Spirit 
to bring encouragement. Do you know our tongues can be used to bring healing? Our speech has a healing quality to it. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. In contrast, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Here's another one. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. So how are you using your speech? What are you characterized by? And who, as we're thinking about this, the encouragement and the healing, maybe God's bringing somebody to your mind that you can write a note to or you can call and you can encourage and you can speak a word of healing to them through your voice. And other constructive uses, imparting knowledge and wisdom. And again, I mentioned this is the responsibility of us as parents, that we do this with our children. We're all to grow in knowledge and wisdom, but we see Solomon instructing his son, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight. Gold there is and rubies in abundance, but lips that speak knowledge are a rare jewel. And our mouths have the power to speak life and encouragement, but also to impart knowledge and instruction. And our children are born in need of instruction, and we need to be intentional about that. That's why I mentioned last week, I challenged us, if you don't have a devotional plan this summer, read through with your families the book of Proverbs. Read through the book of Proverbs. Our kids were gone at camp this last week, so we kind of put that on hold until they came back. But this summer, we're reading through the book of Proverbs together. You may only get through a verse or two. That's okay. You may get through a whole chapter in one setting. That's great. But a lot of opportunities for you to pass on wisdom and knowledge to your kids through the book of Proverbs. How about rebuking? Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. The power of speech, the power of the tongue. He who rebukes a man will in the end gain more favor than he who has a flattering tongue. Do you have relationships with people that are the kind of relationships where there's accountability, that someone can speak the truth and love to you in an area that you've stepped out of line and rebuke you and love? We need those kind of relationships. Our speech flows from our heart. Our words are incredibly powerful. Another principle, quality takes priority over quantity. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little value. Proverbs 10, 19 and 20. This is a great one. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. Sometimes we just need to zip it up and listen before we speak. On a windswept hill in an English churchyard stands a drab gray slate tombstone. The faint etchings read, Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. (laughs) Think before you speak. Honesty is the best policy. A truthful witness gives honest testimony, but a false witness tells lies, Proverbs 12, 17. Are you truthful with your speech? Am I known as a man who is good as his word? 
Last night, my wife called me. It was almost dark. I was up here working on this message. And she said, remember, you promised to take the kids swimming. And I went, oh, you golly. Okay. I'll be right home. So we went swimming. Because I told my kids I would take them swimming. And I'm not saying I do that perfectly every time, but dads, moms, we need to keep our words to our kids. We need to keep our word to each other. This is becoming a lost art in our society. We need to be honest and truthful and integrous with our speech. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. He delights when we tell the truth because it's reflecting him and it's reflecting honor and glory to him as we live our lives truthfully. If you're not going to speak the truth, if you're not going to be honest in your business dealings, please don't tell people that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. That's convicting, isn't it? An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. I'm going to take that from my kiss, like a kiss from my wife. That's a good thing. Honest answer. It's like a kiss on the lips. Principles about our speech engage our minds before our mouths. He who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Proverbs 13, 3. Do you see a man who speaks with haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs 29, 20. Listen first. Publius, the Greek sage, said, I have often regretted my speech, never my silence. Six, our speech should be sparkling clean. Again, parents, this is a great principle that we need to teach our kids. And we have challenges. I mean, our, we have a free spirit. And he, um, <laughs> he uh, sometimes will come home and he's learned a new word. And we have an, a teachable moment there. He came home uh, not too long ago and said, hey, I learned a new Spanish word. We said, really? We're sitting at dinner. What is it? And he went, we went, our hair kind of blows back a little bit. Son, that's not Spanish. And we had an opportunity to uh, instruct him. The lips of the righteous know what is fitting, but the mouth of the wicked only what is perverse. Perverse, they're, it's upside down or, or they're speaking with a crooked mouth. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but a perverse tongue will be cut out. Yes, sometimes we threaten our kids with that. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. This is New Testament, but here's the principle that Paul's teaching in Ephesians. Don't let any unwholesome, or the Greek word is literally of food that's gone rotten. It's putrid. Don't let any rotten words come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Our speech should be sparkly clean. If your lips would keep from slips, five things observe with care to whom you speak, of whom you speak, and how and when and where. William Norris. King David said it best. I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth. Big idea, my tongue can build up or crush someone's spirit. Praise or curse God, the choice is mine. Let's make some applications here. First, pray for self-control. 
<laughs> we need self-control. Lord, give me self-control with my speech. That's a fruit of the Spirit. That's something that is very biblical to pray in all areas of our life, but I think particularly in this one. We need self-control. Second, listen. We need to develop the art of listening. Husbands, listen to your wife. Vice versa, too, but especially husbands, we need to listen. Third, become a vault. Become someone that people can trust. Someone shares some confidential information to you. Keep it right there. It, once it's out there, you can't take it back. And, and once you send that email, once you press send, it, it ain't coming back. It's gone. Who will you encourage with your speech? Who will you, parents, look for ways to affirm our children? Our children need our affirmation. They need to hear, I'm proud of you. You did a great job. I believe in you. Anyone you need to ask their forgiveness? Or is there anyone you need to forgive? Because maybe some hurt, some pain, some distance has come because of something that was said. Six, and this is the wonderful thing that we have and how our mouths and our tongues and our speech can be used, that we can share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to others. Let's stand together as we close. There's a few verses I'd like for us to read together in praise and worship and response to God. Psalm 150, a way that we can use our speech, a way that we can use our tongue to read God's Word, to praise Him and adore Him. And we're going to conclude with using our speech to bring honor and glory to His name. And as a congregational reading together, let's read Psalm 150 together. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty expanse. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with harp and lyre. Praise Him with timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Father, We honor you this morning with our tongues, with our speech, with our mouth. Thank you for giving us the ability to speak. We pray, Lord, that you would convict us for any areas that we have used our tongue in a way where we have chosen to disobey you, where we have sinned, where we have slandered someone, where we have gossiped, where we have said hurtful things. Convict us, Father. Allow us to be people who have soft hearts and were willing to own up to our sin and have the courage to repent, to change our minds and allow you through your spirit to change our behavior. Lord, we know this begins with our worldview of a fear of the Lord and awe and a reverence for you. And as your people, as the family of God, we together respond with praise and adoration to your name. We love you. We do fear you. We worship you. You, Jesus Christ, are our Lord, our Master, our Savior. We're your bondservants. Use our mouths, Father, to bring you honor and glory this day and this week.
Christ's name we pray. Amen.